Hey party people, what's going on? Jeff here from This Week in Mormons, and this show is This Week in Mormons. And I'm Jeff, as I just said. I'm losing my train of thought here, but I'm with Josie this week. Hi, Josie. Glad that you still remember that I was here. Thanks. That's actually a record for me for introducing a co-host. I didn't do anything else. Anyway, um, <laughs> folks, we're at thisweekinmormons.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can shoot us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com, depending on your opinion of this episode. We'd love to hear it. That would be super, super groovy. Um, Josie, other than the fact that you are wearing a face card on your shirt, which implies gambling, how are you doing out there in the exotic Far East? Well, I have so clearly fallen from the fold, according to my T-shirt. No, Singapore is fine, as everywhere else in the world is. We are dealing with the delightful virus still, and... um, I actually have applied to help out with the healthcare response with it. So I have been trained to become, and I'm waiting for my call out, to become your local nasal swabber. So, Oh, congratulations. I've just gotten a job out of this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, um, yeah, is actually quite helpful because I wonder if some people have noticed that the uh, freelancing media industry is struggling a little bit. Uh, <laughs> just just a little bit <laughs> at the moment. Uh, I think the latest stat I saw was that for freelancers and other contract workers as well, that their work has fallen about 32% more than other people who have been kind of struggling as well. I mean, I'm sure yeah. we're probably fighting for uh, the top spot of struggling, you know, competing with the travel industry. I think that they still have it worse. Um, but yeah, so I... Uh, yeah, I, uh, used to do some work in medicine a little bit. So now I'm fully fledged nasal. I can't even remember how to say it exactly. I think it's a nasal pharyngeal swab. The one that goes all the way back kind of to the back of your throat. Yeah, so that's, that's the one. The tickler. The old, the, the old Egyptian embalming oh, technique one. Yep. Yeah. So that's what I get to do. I, unfortunately, when we were testing or when we were training it out, uh, my instructor looked over at me and he was like, great. So you'll be the first patient. And I kind of thought, Oh, oh no. <laughs> like, or my actually, and how does it, how, how does it feel? It feels like a chimney sweep of your brain, honestly. So, um, it's not, it's not great, but not to freak anybody out, it is not the worst thing ever. I reckon vomiting probably feels worse. So this oh, is good. That, this that's is a ringing endorsement <laughs> right there. But I mean, most people have vomited before, right? And so if you think, oh, nasal swab, so terrifying, it's something new. Well, it's not as bad as uh, some other things. So there you go. I I have a very sensitive nose, so I do not look forward to the day when and if. What does that mean? You have a sensitive nose. Um, I don't like, like I don't like to squeeze my nostrils. Like I'm doing it right now. Squeeze my nostrils together. It's very uncomfortable for me. For example, interesting. If I get hit the nose, it hurts like murder. I hate it so much. I wonder why that is. If it helps, it's a very very skinny swab. That doesn't help, does it? Well, I'm hoping I don't have a need to take it. I haven't felt symptomatic in any way through this whole thing. And we've tried to be careful. So yeah. hopefully it never... Well, Singapore is, as we start to try and reopen, um, there's some suggestion and indication that like for, uh, at least for preschoolers to open up, we're going mm-hmm. to be testing mm-hmm. teachers as well. So even if you haven't really been showing symptoms, we're going to be doing some mass testing. That's why they've had the call out for ordinary fellas and people like me to come and help with the um with the testing process so that's that, that's good it is good um, we, we've had some initial discussions on the church side of it like what does it look like if we get back into it yeah um he, here in northern virginia we're actually operating by different rules it's kind of funny the virginia governor said yeah the dc suburbs are going to do stuff later than the rest of the the rest of the state's opening up right now which in some ways makes no sense because what's to stop me from just driving to richmond sure i want to party it up for some reason but uh church will be interesting if and when it comes to that i i feel like in a perfect world we'd have people out there taking people's temperatures before they go in I mean, are people going to want to go in? I don't know. I mean, we're still we we've been doing temperatures since like this first kind of started, but I mean, it's uh, that's not foolproof yet either. Um, 
So of course, of course. But I mean, it's better than nothing, right? So. Well, it's just one. It's one thing you can do. Yeah, sure. It's certainly not. It is certainly not everything. No. Certainly, certainly not everything. So I don't know. I'm, ex- I'm excited to see. It's gonna be weird if they tell us to start coming to church again sometime soon. Do you think people will return? Not just out of fear of coronavirus, which is one thing, but just because maybe there are many who have decided they enjoy doing church at home. And it, and like I don't know how it is out there in Singapore, but do you think there are people who are like we're just gonna have lower activity rates, basically? Singapore already has kind of a funny culture with this. Like we have a lot of expats that come into Singapore and there's actually an issue of, oh, nobody really knows me here. And if I don't get in contact with my bishop, then like, yeah, yeah. you know, I can just slide under the radar and not really come to church. Um, that happens. So we kind of already, but that's not really like a local Singaporean issue. I think they will be pretty keen to come back if there's anything that is holding them back it will be waiting on the government to give like the full green light go ahead that it's safe for you to go to church under these you know cautionary measures um i don't know i i do know i have spoken to quite a few people that are like i'm loving this stay-at-home church thing but they're also i i think if you're doing at home church, you're probably active enough in church worship to be okay with coming to church again when it opens up. I would say so, but and this is strictly anecdotal, but I do know others who have not been coming to church for cultural whatever reasons, uh, but they are actively doing at home church during okay. this period of time, which is, I agree with you. I'm assuming that might be in the minority because I understand where you're coming from, but I have seen it on the other way where. There are people who are more than happy to do church at home and still just don't want to come to church and be around their ward for uh, myriad reasons, I guess. So it's uh, it's going to be weird, and I, though, especially because if in the next couple of months, it's going to be one thing if they say, hey, we can meet again. But at some point, we'll, it'll of course come from the area presidencies, but basically will local leaders have to rescind the availability to like bless the sacrament at home if you're doing that in your stake uh, or hold meetings altogether. Well, they have to issue an edict that says you can't do this anymore. Like we're not sanctioning this anymore. You have to come back to church, which robs people of agency in many ways. I imagine they won't. I think they'll try to be sensitive to people's needs. But at the same time, I, I have to think there'll at some point be a line in the sand. We're going to say we're doing church at home and not at home anymore. We're doing church at church. And that's where you can have the sacrament. That's where these things are going to happen. It's going to be weird. Yeah, I, so, I bet they'll have to make that statement, though. I wouldn't be too surprised. It's going to happen at some point. Yeah. That's going to be kind of an awkward statement in a way. It's been one thing to figure all of this out, but I think it'll be weird to just say, sorry, folks, even if you are uncomfortable with how things are rolling out. I don't know. Um, we're not the only people to ask this question, of course, over at Zalafahad's Daughters, which often publishes blog posts with lots of uh, based on lots of interesting data polls. Up front, this is not the best way to measure this possibility or measure the expectation of what if there will be drop off when we return to church but it's a worthwhile post and what the author does is compare uh google trend data uh there's a lot of caveats there i won't get into all of them we'll link to this on the website but google trends is where you can analyze search terms and traffic relative to a number of different metrics and just like see what's happening globally or locally for example nationally whatever you want about certain search trends the long and short of it is, other than some spikes that you see, which are things like the day after general conference, um, looking over the past year, it's pretty funny. You've got uh, when there were the Mormon murders in Mexico, when the polygamous compound was shot up, then the the uh, $100 billion story breaks, and then there were spikes, of course, when church meetings were suspended and after general conference this year. But other than that, the data, the search data trend line is going down for 2020 compared to 2019. So it doesn't necessarily mean people aren't going to show up to church, but it does show a drop off, especially it's, it's generally lower than last year, but this spring, since we started staying at home, there's been an even more, slightly more noticeable drop off, which implies fewer people are at least searching for the church in general. It's a little more out of sight, out of mind while we've all been quarantined up at home. Mm-hmm. So we can only, it's it's conjecture. We can only extrapolate what we want from that. And 
and predict whether or not people will come back. But uh, the data at least shows on the internet that fewer people are searching for the church in general during this trying time, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Speaking Hmm. of church reopenings, uh, there's a little mention that some of our, or the Area 70 around Italy uh, met up with the government, like the Minister of Interiors, and they've signed a little quote-unquote protocol or just kind of a document saying that meeting houses will be able to reopen. Um, It seems like it's coming into effect May 18th, which for me was yesterday. For you, that's today, I suppose. So I'm not too sure. Um, I haven't seen any news following this up yet. Um, Details still of how that is actually going to happen. Um, So we'll keep watching how Italy tries. We weren't the only um, church that was involved in that meeting. So I wonder if... um, as I had mentioned, maybe the Catholic Church is pretty eager to open up again as well. I'd kind of thought that churches might be one of the last ones to sort of open up because, well, unless you are all required to wear masks inside, you know, the chapels or um, wherever your meeting house is, um, just because like the act of singing kind of, you know, you spit and droplets and yeah. things yeah. are spreading and yeah. air conditioning. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how that actually goes forward or if they're going to still take some time with really reopening churches. I think the biggest thing in our case we're going to have to look at is uh, just the sacrament too. I mean, oh, yeah. singing is one thing, but it's not going to cut it to have a trade just passed around the congregation Maybe you anymore. just bring your own bread. <laughs> I think it's either bring your own bread. I think we could take a page from our Catholic friends and make everyone stand in line and like go up to a priest who puts the bread <laughs> in your mouth. it on your tongue. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's at, least, it's at least sort of more hygienic, I suppose. Definitely not okay with the whole sharing the same kind of chalice, though, and having a sip. So that's a, that's well, a no-go. I, I think you and I, and we talked about this, how the, the shared chalice thing was reality until the flu, mm. the influenza pandemic, the Spanish flu back in 1918. And that's when the church said, okay... We will do individual cups. But even now, we're still rummaging around through a tray of bread, which is not sustainable, I don't think. (laughs) It's gross when you think about it. (laughs) Like, it's gross when you think about it. And that's one of those things I think no matter how much we've flattened the curve or we're more comfortable with it, a lot of people are going to go to church and just not be comfortable with a tray with food mutually being passed around. And I think it's going to have to come from Salt Lake to think of – like it might involve a legit – revamp of how the sacrament is done. That's the only way to uh, to make that better. Uh, also, other quick COVID updates, everyone. Latest temple updates. Now 52 temples will be, will be in limited reopening. They just announced today 17 more temples added to the list. That seems to be, it's usually around that, 16, 17, 18 temples at a time. Uh, as a reminder, there's a four-phase approach for reopening temples. Phase one is what we've only seen so far when they're open for restricted living ceilings only, which basically at this point has just meant that, living ceilings. You can't even go through to receive your endowment and then get married. You have to have already been previously endowed. So it's quite restricted. Uh, Phase two would be all living ordinances only, so still no proxy work. Phase three would be open for all ordinances with some restrictions, uh, where it says temple workers will continue to provide ordinances for living individuals, uh, and provide proxy ordinances for ancestors in a restricted manner. Uh, patron housing, things like that would open as needed. And phase four is just back to normal, full operations. As you might imagine, everything is essentially in phase one of those temples that are open. I have yet to, I need to mapify this because I've yet to understand what the what the logic is behind what's been opened and what hasn't been because it bounces around a lot. It's like Billings, Montana, North Dakota, Idaho, but like Calgary, Cardston aren't open. Sorry, Cardston is going to be one of the new ones that's open. It just seems to bounce around a lot across North America in terms of what's open. Like Boise is in phase one, for example, but the Meridian Idaho Temple is closed. Meridian's a suburb of Boise, but that one's shut down. You know, St. Louis is closed. Rexburg, Idaho is closed for some reason. Star Valley, Wyoming's open. It's just... It moves around quite a bit. So you don't even um, think it's really based on temples that were previously more busy than others? Generally speaking, it's more Western and at least Central in the country I'm seeing. So if you look, at, there's, they have a list on the church's website 
by church area. So the North America central area, which has basically a lot of the middle of the country, like you might expect. Utah's its own area, but it includes the Utah temples and then most stuff east of that. A lot of them are happening there, but North America, Northeast, where I live, the only one even involved in that is uh, the Columbus, Ohio temple, which was just announced today to reopen. But all the other ones from, you know, DC, of course, is shut down anyway. But all the other things, you know, Manhattan, Toronto, Philadelphia, whatever, all of those are still no announcement so far. But North America Southeast, a little bit more. Uh, North America Southwest kind of staggered around as well. And then, of course, there are some foreign temples that are getting this. I might add a lot of the Utah temples are back online because we, of course, let's just play favorites with Utah. If you actually think about this as a pub, from a public health perspective, Okay, it's not like Utah has the most people, but it has the biggest concentration of Latter-day Saints. Ergo, by opening up all of the temples, even in different phases, like that's like the most people descending on the temples <laughs> compared to other places. More people moving. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't feel super confident with us reopening temples yet, but... Um, yeah, not to, But the one in Taiwan is the only Asian one open for... Uh, sorry, uh, South Korea is also open. It bounces around a bit, but like all of Brazil is shut down. The Caribbean's still closed. South America's closed. A little bit of Europe's open. So I don't know what the rationale is behind which ones are which, but... Temple presidents with a bit of favoritism. That's what it is. They see, they seem to be doing about... Uh, now it seems to be a tranche every week of reopening temples. So we're at 54. I mean, we've got to, That's 100 or so more to go. Hmm. All these phases. I want to see a chart. Oh, this does need to be a map. You we need maps a map. icons. Oh, you I love a map. Our maps. Um, well, if I can, great- I will cruise through some of the last of our COVID-19 sort of news. This is kind of replacing our international news and has mostly just become all about the virus as um, is not too much of a surprise. And most of it is reports of good stuff that we're doing doing um so uh in australia for example brisbane steak has organized uh or they did organize care packages for 115 quarantined missionaries before they could be reassigned or sent home so i'm assuming that must have been a couple of weeks ago and that's since been taken care of um and the macarthur steak in sydney um there i i like seeing a couple of different examples of the ways that uh, different wards and stakes are staying involved with their um, with their congregation. So they are hosting Zoom self-reliance courses and they had like a psychologist come on and discuss like how to help out with um, kids struggling with anxiety during this time. So that was kind of cool. Um, I love the medical stuff that we're doing in Cambodia. Whatever our – there's like an area pre- – the area presidency there and then also I think some um, – missionary couples that have been pushing this pretty big that we've been helping out with the humanitarian support and they've been doing a bunch of healthcare training previously and they're continuing that on during this time so like cpr training for police officers as they're kind of the first responders on the scene um and then also assisting some hospitals with cleanliness during this whole covid situation so i love that that's still kind of going on and we're keen to help out um this was interesting with the UK, Lon- the London Mission President couple, um, they are hosting like a monthly devotional from their mission home. And it seems like a fairly big production. So like most recently, they had some interfaith influence from um, a reverend um, and lecturer from Pembroke College, Oxford. And so uh, supposedly these devotionals are reaching like over 32,000 people. That's the number that they had quoted and from 45 different countries. So apparently South Africa, Japan, Thailand, Tonga, and a bunch of other places have figured out how to link into this. And I'm not really sure how they first heard about it because I hadn't seen it until there was this news report about it. So um, that's probably, I think that's got to be the biggest monthly little connection that we're um, making that's also gone global. It's like a little little mini conference. Um, and then I love that in good old Wales, our Cardiff steak made and delivered 8,000, yes, hygiene kits for those like in hospital or in care homes. So we're doing good stuff. Um, in Germany, 
the Friedrichsdorf stake has sewed and donated 400 face masks. And I'm sure there's loads more examples of face masks being sewed and donated. I know Singapore has done um, a similar sort of project. Um, so if people would just post more on their local news site, then um, I would give you a shout out. But until then, we're sticking with Friedrichsdorf. Um, <laughs> and in Ecuador, the church um, has donated a bunch of PPE kits, so gloves, masks, oh, um, and gowns, that sort of thing. So to five different cities in Ecuador, and we've similarly done that in Sierra Leone. And that is some of the good stuff that we're doing. So some of it is stakes taking their own initiative and trying to figure out how they can help out in the community. And others are specifically coming for, from our humanitarian branch. So it's good to see that we've got um, or that we're still helping out in every way that we possibly can. That's our that's our news. That's well, good news, though. It is good news. It's nice to hear something positive, even though I feel like with most of the news being coronavirus related, it can be a little bit heavy. But we're doing good yeah. stuff. And we're going to keep on that just a little bit. So uh, <laughs> Latter-day Saint leaders are also expressing support for an interfaith day of prayer, which was last week, the day of prayer. But uh, we we stand united. That's basically the gist of it. Elder Bednar sent a nice tweet out that said, as we join with the United Arab Emirates, it's good that we're sucking up to the future home of one of our temples, in a prayer for humanity, humanity day of fasting on May 14th, the hearts and prayers of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint unite with our brothers and sisters of other faith traditions as we petition God for relief from COVID. So the long and short of it, is we're doing our best to outreach with others in the f- other faith communities and say we're all in this together, similar to our, our global fasts and all those things that we've tried to be a part of. I don't have anything else to say about this. I just think, cool, it's great that we did it. Good job, Elder Bednar. Well done, us. Um, for a quick mention, um, some a sad bit of news here that a young missionary um, who was from Bountiful has unfortunately died and passed away while serving in Georgia. Um, there's just a quick little uh, statement. It appears that he was hit by a vehicle while he was on his bicycle. And uh, his companion was not injured, but um, very, oh. very, very sad. Condolences to the family. Also very sad for this companion who had to have witnessed that. Um, so... Yep, the news just keeps getting more and more depressing. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, hey, we just had all this happy news. It's it's uh It's true. Yeah, but Elder McKay Berg Elder McKay Burgess. Very sad you know? to hear about that. Yeah. I think it was a hit and run too, wasn't it? Oh gosh. That makes it From worse. What I read. Uh well there's a couple of other COVID things, but I'm gonna jump over to this one, the Deseret News, because this is a, a prevalent issue. In the Deseret News. Now, the headline reads, Does history corroborate with the Latter-day Saint restoration? Here's one author's search for answers. A new book called The Pilgrim Hypothesis from quote-unquote historian Tim Ballard. Now, we say quote-unquote because Timothy Ballard has also written books called, I believe it was what, The Lincoln Lincoln Hypothesis and The Washington Hypothesis. The hypothesis being that all of these people were driven by as actors in the restoration. And I'm not saying that God can't have a role in that, that the pilgrims coming to America seeking religious freedom, that that might not have laid some kind of groundwork in some way, of course, for the appropriate environment for the restoration. That's fine. But we find that people like Tim Ballard are just sort of bad historians and do bad research and cite things poorly without context. So I don't don't have a lot of high hopes for this one. So for some background with Abraham Lincoln, for example, uh, he posited that basically that Abraham Lincoln had like was influenced by the Book of Mormon. We don't have any evidence that Abraham Lincoln read the Book of Mormon and took stock in it. It's worth noting, if you remember, uh, we interviewed Ben Park a couple of weeks ago and talked a lot about the mm-hmm. po- politics of Illinois back in the Nauvoo era. The church was more aligned with the dem- what were the Democrats at that time, and Lincoln was a Republican. It was even more likely that a Republican was uh, more dismissive of the Latter-day Saints. But at the same time, I don't have any record of Abraham Lincoln dogging on the Mormons either, right? Um, it's just uh, – it, this goes to this bigger issue of his Latter-day Saint historians 
and that we're always seeking somehow to have our stamp on everything. And obviously, we believe that our church is the continued church of Christ upon the earth, which is no small thing. And it's totally understandable that God's hand has been involved in a lot of different uh, vignettes over the centuries. But I think we are so quick to want to try to find and insert our narrative throughout other parts of world history as if it, as if every little thing of it's been deliberate. And this is just one example of that. And the thing that disappoints me is that um, like Deseret Books supports this, right? Like there have been, they publish books like this. Latter-day Saints lap it up and they say, oh my goodness, did you know the Angel Moroni appeared to George Washington at Valley Forge? <laughs> when there's like, it's so much conjecture and historians have spoken with Deseret Book, like I've I've read about this, to try to get them to cool off on publishing these these books with dubious claims, but they just do it anyway, and it builds this entire this these whole narratives. And you you many of you listening, you have loved ones, you have family members who read books like this, who have them, who read the five thousand year leap and think that Skousen is just the man and has never done anything wrong, and it's just. I don't knock it because I'm not knocking freedom or the belief that God <laughs> has had like a hand in what, in what we're doing. But I just love seeing this covered in Deseret News this week. And I just shook my head and said, oh, my gosh, that like we're doing this again. We're giving Timothy Ballard a platform again. And a lot of Mormons are going to buy it. They're going to buy the book. They're going to love it. And they're going to be like, yeah, the pilgrims were Mormons. Didn't you know? That's what that's what happened. And we have to be, we have to be a little bit better than that and actually do our research and try to, you know, not just be sucked into things we shouldn't be sucked into. Yeah, to me, it felt like I I haven't, I haven't read the book. I feel like Disclosure, is it even out just yet or it's coming out? But oh, it's coming. Okay, it's coming. Well, for some of the reports and the reading about the book, um, it just feels a little bit like that one American exceptionalism and then kind of our own Latter-day Saint exceptionalism on top of that. So, I, I mean, it fits nicely into a narrative that we want to kind of believe, but it's not doing a whole lot for us in the way of being a peculiar people and not in a positive way. Um, there was on the website for the book, so Glenn Beck apparently wrote the foreword or the intro and he's got a little section in here that uh that essentially that this is the secret that built the nation and allowed us to conquer the world's superpower to gain our independence and that allowed us to liberate slaves by the millions and it kind of made me cringe cuz i sort of Flip thought the man. well we were sort of the ones that brought them there in the first place we have not done some wonderful deed by liberating them like yes we should have done it a lot sooner slash never had it in the first place um so i don't know there's some maybe it's worth checking the book out and then also sometimes it's got a bit of i don't know it's got weird vibes for me that's all yeah it's not it's not worth it not worth it it's not worth it i'm interested though i didn't realize that there was so much of a trend of these kinds of books um being uh, marketed instead of pushed well, we, by we, lap, we we lap it up. It's a it's it's faith affirming and affirming yeah. our role in larger world history I mean, or even just U.S. history. But if you think about it, there aren't too many other instances, even in our regular lives, that we are led and directed to some great work so strongly. Like we feel it on our own personal basis, but like agency has so much more like we we have a lot of power in our own agency so i i don't know for me the whole like people of history were led like they were just you know holding on to the iron rod and literal and that was like a literal metaphor a literal instance it's just, Wait a yeah, minute. literal metaphor well yeah, yeah you know what i mean but <laughs> i don't know i think i just i i kind of raised my eyebrows at the thought of it's like, of course, the Lord has his hand in things that are going on, but he also kind of takes a hands-off approach in a lot of things as well. Let's just make our own decisions. So I don't know. That's what I'm trying to get at there. I get you. I, I got you. Anyway, Timothy Ballard does Operation Underground Railroad. He's done a lot of other useful things, but let's be careful with trying to make up history, even if there's interesting stuff there, folks. 
even if there is. Josie, it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. Okay. Well, I feel like the one that goes after that is this article about conspiracy narratives. It's just that I was trying to um, um, hide from more of the conspiracy narratives. So there was a blog post um, by Common Consent called The Paradoxal... Oh, man, paradoxical appeal of conspiracy narratives. And it was talking about the pandemic video that went viral this month. That thing was legit. Uh, Yeah, so I'm not too sure the whole thing has been a plan to take away our freedom. This is the move. This is like Illuminati times 10. This is what it's been all about since day one, Josie. Yeah, so... I don't even know how much time and attention I really feel like giving to (laughs) this because it's because it is a conspiracy theory and it's been debunked and it's kind of crap. And yes, it's surprised that it went viral. Um, She makes a good point here that, you know, uh, we fall for conspiracy theories because it gives us like a level of control back. And I get that, that you don't really feel like you have control right now, Um, but the virus didn't really come from a test tube in China. And honestly, wouldn't that be way more terrifying if it did? So I don't know. I don't find that too comforting. Um, I'm not sure the Mormon connection there on this blog post, except like... It's not, it's not very explicit. Yeah, ex- except I think it's basically just like, hey, guys, maybe like read the news and don't share something, even if you're trying to kind of go, haha, how stupid is this? Like it's still sharing it and still spreading it. So that's what I got from that. Yeah, there's so much of it out there. I even had an exchange. Uh, I, I'm terrible on Facebook, but yes, you uh, are. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Here for sport. Where, where some people post th- things in a nice way, and if you have the audacity to say, "I don't like to be the actually guy," but to say, "Well, <laughs> this isn't exactly supported by the data." What you're sharing right now, I see where you're getting this, and there's some elements of truth in it. But a lot of what you're saying is not true, and we have like verifiable information that debunks it. And it isn't trying to be a put down, but like this is, you can't put this up there because that's just not true. And then the response I've gotten, I've had this happen twice, and I've had to, I've had polite exchanges about this, but they've just, they, they, I've had comments deleted, and people message me and say, "Look, look, you're a great person, and." Um, <laughs> And like, we just want to all get along and just like, if you like, basically, if you can't say something nice and I'm sitting here like, look, I understand if I was trashing on you and your family and personally attacking you, but like, this is Facebook and you're posting lies and you shouldn't get mad if somebody calls you out on it and then says if you can't say something nice, don't say anything. I'm like, dude, if you're looking for just like an echo chamber, join a group on Facebook and just blabber <laughs> away amongst yourselves. But it's, it's driving me crazy that people are posting stuff on their walls and then they get mad when they're called out on it. And I'm not saying I'm immune to posting dumb things too. Of course I am, but I try. Uh, I guess we're that, in the phase of opinion is truth, right? And yeah. everyone seems to believe that everything is opinion when that's not always uh, accurate. There are facts and that's a little bit different. Well, we, we all have confirmation bias. I was talking about this even last week. It's understandable. Like we hear news that we agree with and we want it to be true. And then we want to throw that out there for the world and show why this way that we believe in something is the correct way and the of way that course. we should be following. And I get it, but it doesn't always mean it's true, right? On either side of it, you know? So um, we hinted at this, but it's funny. We mentioned Ben Park. Um, he published an article over at Religious Dispatches. And some of this plays into our episode with Ben Park. If you haven't listened to it, go back a couple of weeks Ben Park, Kingdom of Nauvoo, great book. I loved reading it, and it was a really interesting discussion with him, essentially about how uh, the church was essentially trying to set up a theocracy in Nauvoo and why that eventually became a problem in democratic United States in the middle of the 19th century. That's a short version of it, but it was a great interview, a lot of interesting stuff there. And so part of the book deals sort of in this article, uh, and he says how an 1843 revelation on polygamy poses a serious challenge to modern Mormonism. Now, Ben Park argues essentially that Doctrine and Covenants section 132 was hastily received by Joseph Smith, according to his records, uh, dictated to Joseph Smith quickly on July 12th, 1843, essentially as written 
proof and justification for the practice of plural marriage, which at that point was infuriating Emma. Remember, if it's July 1843, Joseph Smith had about a year to live at that point. Um, so that's the argument that uh, DNC 132 with all the others, it's all about eternal marriage and all sorts of things. And you have to dig in there and realize there's a little bit about polygamy in there, but that all of that was received essentially to mollify Emma Smith. That is the That is the primary argument here. So that's one thing to get into, and I think there are some who might hear me saying that and disagree with it, and that's fine. Comment. Tell us why Tell us why it's wrong. Tell Ben why he's wrong. Um, but then the issue here is how this is shaping views even into today on gender, marriage, and the church itself. For me, sort of the long and short of it is that because this polygamy itself, plural marriage, exists in Doctrine and Covenants as something— uh, uh, you know, something blessed by God. Whereas something like, say, the priesthood ban, he compares it to that a lot because our priesthood ban, we didn't get rid of until the late 70s, of course. And it was sort of taken as law and the church has been doing some cleanup work ever since the gospel topic essays have come out and different things kind of backing off from it. But even, but even with that, the church has never up and said, like this was totally wrong. Brigham Young was wrong, but they have tried to say, well, this wasn't in, this isn't scripture and it never was. So it's easier to abandon it, right? Plural marriage is in the scriptures. It took a long time, took two manifestos uh, and a lot of work. It, it took Utah needing to be a state for, for us to take it seriously and get rid of it. But basically this, this remains an issue today for many people who struggle with uh, the fact that we haven't formally or completely disavowed polygamy. And it still exists. I mean, the bottom line is a man can be sealed to multiple women. How that shakes out in the great beyond, I don't know how that's supposed to be, but that still exists on the record. And I think a big part of that, and I agree with this at least understanding of it, is that because it's in Doctrine and Covenants, it would essentially take the church saying section 132 was improperly or incorrectly either received or disseminated, and it has to be amended. And what are the chances the church is going to come out and say, yeah, Joseph was wrong about this one, even if people were to believe that. So I think I got that right, Josie. I think, yeah, I, I think well. the chances of that happening are pretty slim. But yeah, uh, I thought the comparison to the priesthood ban, ban I'm having a great time talking today, um, is like I've heard that comparison multiple times. Um, and I think that that's... Um, I don't know. To me, the to me the um, the comparison kind of rings true. But again, talking about that confirmation bias sort of thing, like it's because I don't like the polygamy period makes me kind of cringy. So, um, you know, definitely, and I know that I'm not alone on that. And the the lingering right. effect of being able to, you know, a man being able to be sealed to multiple women, but um, a woman not being able to be sealed to multiple men. Like it just, it's. Well, it's like we got rid of, an, we got rid of enough of polygamy to skate by with civic authorities or civil authority. Rather. Yeah. But it still, but it still exists in a capacity that the state doesn't care about basically on our end. So that's why it's still there. I'm trying to, it, I think I'm struggling to come up with something to say for this one because it is something that I do personally struggle with of like, how exactly are you supposed to reconcile this and make sense of it? And I don't know. And I don't have the answers. And I've asked a lot of people and I don't know that many other people seem to have the answer. <laughs> Except this, this maybe take pray about it and like, it'll change yeah. your mind. I'm like, oh, it kind of hasn't just yet. So I don't know. Maybe I'm not as faithful as I need to be or I'm just not falling into line. Um, but I I thought it was an interesting, like I hadn't made the connection of, you know, the priesthood ban not being included in the scriptures. Um, that's correct. Versus um, polygamy. It is, it is mentioned there. And so then what, what do you do with that? I don't know. What is funny is we, we mentioned the priesthood ban is not, not in the scriptures at the same time, official declaration two is part of the scriptures yeah, yeah. formally reversing that. So it's kind of funny that something that's not found in the scriptures does have, it's like, it's similar to like what the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution to ban alcohol, and then the 21st right. overturned the 18th. It's like having the 21st Amendment, and we never had the 18th in the first place. It's kind of funny. A little bit, yeah. Um, it's it's a thorny topic, and I I, very I totally thorny. understand people's discomfort with it. 
I've never been comfy with it, but also as a man, I think I am uh, less less comfortable with it than a woman would be. I don't want to say more comfortable, but you get what I'm saying. My level of discomfort is not that of what I think it is for a lot of women and understandably so. Sure. Uh, and it's uh, it's tricky stuff. This is a good article. It's worth reading. You know, you might disagree with Ben or some of his history, but I think it's uh it's no, it's it's worth yeah, it's worth a read. It's worth um having a think about again if you can bear to try and think about this. I I'm sure for a lot of people it just brings up such angry feelings that they don't want to even broach the subject of polygamy yeah. at all. I think it doesn't feel or th- that it feels worse after Utah <laughs> just uh legalized polygamy again i think that, that oh, feels worse did, in that did context not, did, did, not, did not legalize yeah, decriminalize. Did decriminalized yes correct yes. sorry my law terms were a little big up there but either way it still doesn't feel it doesn't feel great um well and he mentions that too it's funny because utah's polygamy laws are some of the harshest in the united states but the church just sort of stepped back while the state legislature at least decriminalized it and just did nothing about it, which is rare for the church in Utah politics, especially for something as sensitive as polygamy. But it was a little interesting, though, that he pointed that out because I, I think for me, I initially assumed that the church was involved and that we were sort of a part of decriminalizing it. It's slightly more comforting, not by much, to know that they weren't and that maybe it was the rest of the state that was trying to ask for this. But I don't know, just staying neutral and just stepping aside doesn't feel great either. I don't know. I have many questions on this. I don't think that we're going to get to the bottom of them. Maybe no, someone has not. good thoughts on polygamy and they can reach out, but uh, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. Please do. Well, everyone, let's pivot a little bit here then. We'll give Josie a break. Time to get a breather, Josie. Take uh, time. I mean, it just made me cringe too much. I need a, I need a break. Well, let's talk about the, quote, Mormon Church's secretive $100 billion fund and how it was it slashed its Exxon, Marriott, and Wells Fargo stakes last quarter. Dun, dun, dun. Woohoo! Uh, also, it's funny when we share articles like this and some people responded with just something like, where is your faith? This is old news. I'm like, well, this is like, it's not itself old news. It's mostly just interesting to see that because of SEC filings, what the church ensign peak advisors, the investment arm, what it dumped and what it picked up. That's all. So, uh, Wells Fargo, no good. You know why? Cause they don't have free checking. <laughs> they have some of the worst terms to get free checking. Not worth it. Not worth it. In this day and age when you can have free checking with like no issue. So of course we dump it. Exxon. Well, sure. Gas prices went down a ton. We were smart on that. We got well ahead of it though. The Marriott one's funny to me. It makes sense in that hospitality is suffering greatly right now, and maybe the church was getting ahead of the curve on that front and not trying to lose a lot of its value. But it's Marriott, right? Like, we're close with Marriott. We, It's the Marriott Corporation. We love them. But we did buy the good ones. Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. Good times right there. Surely this uh, is a case of his business, not personal, right? So it's yeah. sayonara, it's Marriott. Though. It does say the value of the stock portfolio has fallen 21% in the last quarter because of everything COVID related, which is, that's legit. I mean, if it's like... It's pretty bad. But what you're saying is we didn't get a tip off? That's a bit unfortunate. Unlike Richard Burr, Senator (laughs) of North Carolina, no, we did not. And I like that the article goes out of its way to talk about some companies that uh, whose stocks we will not buy, like Philip Morris, the tobacco giant, Caesars Entertainment, the gambling company, and as they call it, caffeine sellers like Starbucks <laughs> and Coca-Cola. Those always get a call out in these articles. That's my favorite part just, of them. Just, just caffeine sellers. If you sell caffeine and in some capacity, I don't know. Folks, it's like Coca-Cola is fine, but Starbucks, I... I that's I own no. Starbucks stock. I have no shame that I own Starbucks stock. I don't. Who cares? Uh, they have delicious yeah. chocolate frappuccinos. Ew. Do they? The double chocolatey chip. You haven't lived. It's like having a milkshake, but it's uh, so. Why half wouldn't calories. you just have a milkshake? Probably tastes better. Well, of course it tastes better, but it's like a milkshake, but half the calories oh because it doesn't have any ice. It doesn't have any ice cream. It's got the so chocolate. So what is it made it's got out some of? Cream. <laughs> Ice, ice cream, and chocolate syrup, and chocolate chips, and whipped cream. Gross. That's it. All right. Yeah, you say you say you gross. I say four hundred calories, and it's delicious and re- it's very refreshing. It's like a junior mint. So is water. Just throwing it out there. Um. So we have another Jana Reese little 
blog post to go over here that Mormon women or about Mormon women and the sacrament during COVID-19 and how there are either lots of single women or in her case, women who are um, married to like a man who's either not a member of the church or not currently um, holding or administering the priesthood, which is fine. And let's see, what else did she have in there? I don't know, some other women who are not having the sacrament right now. Um, And trying to make this out as something that they are really suffering from because they don't have a priesthood holder in the house or in the home, Um, which I think is, I don't know. I think it's a valid point, but I also kind of feel like I've like my husband could prepare the sacrament and we just like we're we're not doing it super regularly. Like I am pretty sure that the direction, well, it's uh, based off of or like whatever your bishop says. Um, I, I guess I just don't feel like it's the most important thing that we need to be doing every Sunday at the moment if that makes sense. So I can understand a lot of people feeling like they're really missing that ritual and that routine and that um, that's something that they wish that they had access to. Um, and that's the argument there. But I think a lot of the leadership has tried to say that, you know, it's okay for now and that um, you're not missing out on anything. Yeah, and I actually, you know, I, I dunk on Jana here and there, but this is a... It's a it good was data thoughtful. Here. She hit a good, it's good point. Data here. It's a good article. And we had some good comments on our Facebook page about this. And I think like you said, Josie, there were a number of women who just said, yeah, I wish I could take the sacrament right now, but we're kind of, these are special circumstances. Like we get it. It's unfortunate, but that's what's going on. Hmm. But she does make a point. Um, you know, she's arguing essentially like, why can't we make it so we have an actual sacrament meeting, not a devotional on Zoom or whatever it might have you, but we're like, Somehow a priesthood holder is actually blessing the sacrament in an online service where people then consume it privately. And I mean, we, I asked this question when we first started being uh, quarantined, but it says very clearly in the handbook, this isn't just like a willy nilly decision. Like it's a, it's a fact of carrying out the ordinance. It is not to be done virtually in that sense. I mean, I've heard of different people doing different things in the past, but it's, it's, you do it in person, however that may be. Uh, I think there's some wiggle room there, like how it's done. Like I've read of ministers, like for example, going to someone's house, blessing everything and then putting it in like a bag and then leaving it at their door <laughs> or whatever and saying, there you go, not going in. Um, and you are correct. I, I think the sacrament's really important. You know, we renew our baptismal covenants. It's important also to note, it's not a saving ordinance. I think we think of it as one, but it's not. Uh, but it's a nice thing to have. And I appreciate her doing some of the digging around and realizing how many women there are who just don't have access to it. And that's just in the U S yeah. to, to say nothing of elsewhere. Definitely. I mean, it, it is probably, it, it's hard to have so many conference talks and the brethren speak about the importance of the sacrament. And then to hit a moment like this when it's like, okay, it's uh, suddenly not important anymore. Like I understand that that doesn't make sense too much and that uh, it can help you feel like it can make Sunday feel more like the Sabbath, being able to have that ordinance. Um, but I just think that it's okay to not worry about it too much at the moment and just uh-huh. let it go. That's how all. do you feel about how do you feel about her mic dropping at the end? She says, at the very least, perhaps this pandemic can help us forever lay to rest the specious argument that quote women don't hold the priesthood, but they have full access to its blessings. She says, I do not have full access to its blessings, even in the best of times. And the pandemic is far from the best of times. Right now, I can't take the sacrament on Sundays while other families are doing so. And if or when I get sick with COVID, there was no one in my family who was authorized to give me a priesthood blessing of healing. So, yeah. I mean, I get it, I mean, I get it when you say yes. women don't hold the priesthood, but they exercise it. But at the same time, in a pandemic like this, like you are cut off. Like there's things you just cannot have as a woman that men are privy to, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Which... I think that there, I think, yeah, I think there are other ways that we can try to reach out and feel that comfort. You could, I mean, I guess it's probably not super comforting to just say that you could pray for yourself if you got the virus. I understand that, you know, priesthood blessings can feel a little bit different, but as you say, neither of these are saving ordinances. So it's not something that is 
um, uh, going to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven, but like your desire is there, that won't be discounted. That's all. There we go. Um, a we quick go. announcement that yes. BYU Hawaii has a new president. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Which, uh, kind of unfortunate times for him to sort of jump in there, but hey, he's there and he is a native Hawaiian. Um, I like that we say this like it's the first time it's happened. I don't know if it's the first time it's happened, but sometimes when we go, ooh, BYU Hawaii has a native Hawaiian president, I feel like it points out all the times it hasn't been a native Hawaiian. <laughs> it's like, guys, guess what? BYU Provo has a white man. We've done something so good, and he's a native. Yeah, it's just... um. Uh, it's kind of like, like for me, when we had the first um, uh, general authority who was an African-American get called, and it was kind of like, he's only the first? Like, hello, hooray, it's happened. But like, ah, why am I alive when it's only the first? Like, why hasn't this happened before? So, I mean, it's kind of like really great news and then also kind of really sad news that it's taking us this long. That's Yeah. It. And then we kind of trotted out to like, look at our interesting minority people. I mean, even now with the 12, since, you know, Elder Suarez is Brazilian, which is cool. It is cool. And uh, and Elder Gong is Asian American, which is not, it's great, but that is not the same thing as if we called an actual like Japanese guy to the 12, just to be clear. But I, I have seen, it does seem the newsroom has hopped on that quite a bit to sort of show the diversity, of, at least in the upper ranks, like, hey, hey, hey. Check us out, guys. We are so diverse. We have we have we have white Americans and then foreigners of European descent. That's what we have. <laughs> I think it's kind of it just great. lingers on from our. Um, oh my gosh, what was that campaign called? The I'm a Mormon. Yes, thank you. I was going to say we are the Mormons. I was like, that's not right. Um, oh wow, I was just messing with you. I didn't know that was actually going to be it. I cool. think it was, wasn't it? No, yes, yes I'm a Mormon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyways, that whole campaign that was very much uh, look how diverse and look where we we all live all around the world and how great is this? Which I I mean I like, um, and I'm glad that we take took that approach until we weren't allowed to be Mormons anymore. Um, so that's all right. I know so much effort wasted. We have we have videos of Brandon Flowers from the Killers being all cool about it. My, now it's like, sorry, man. My husband, I'm a Latter Day Saint. My husband was so excited about that video. He's obsessed. So, um, got his tithing money. Boom. Uh, random article from the Deseret News. Once again, everybody, here we go. Are NFL teams shying away from drafting returned Latter Day Saint missionaries? Now you read the headline and think. <gasps> There is, there is bias. There is anti-religious bias in the NFL. They see the Marmons and say, no, no. The Marmons? shall not pass. As it turns out, it's more because a lot of the guys who go on missions come back and they're two to three years older than their fellow classmates when they're being drafted. So they're just like older. And so they're less valuable as athletes in terms of their lifespan within the NFL so it's just tougher for them to get drafted, which makes perfect sense. Then you just got to make that call based on your career trajectory. You know, are you, are you going to go on your mission and do your thing and be cool with that? Are you going to be Jabari Parker and not go on a mission and just go straight to the uh, NBA and hope for the best? I don't know. Also, football's dumb. So there's that. Um, I mean, why? Why Why is this only about NFL teams? Why isn't this article J. Drew? Why isn't this about baseball or soccer both superior sports to football is it just because BYU has a football team and we're still trying to pretend it's freaking 1980 whatever and living off that one championship I am a BYU alumnus and I have no passion for BYU's football team and trying to relive the glory days from 30 odd years ago this remains a thing Josie people still act like BYU football should be the most competitive football team in the world and newsflash, the Utes are way better, for one. They're a way better team than BYU. We, we've got to quit living in the past, everybody. Move on. Support BYU's fe- women's soccer team and the volleyball teams. They are actually good. This is not worth your time. Abandon BYU football. Make their baseball team better because they're not good at all. But make them better. <laughs> make them I mean, be- I, um, 
This should be a Rant moment when I can over. Yeah, I was going to say this should be a moment when I can, you know, bat back and like debate with you a bit on it. But I, I care so little about this topic and maybe BYU football in general. So I'm on your side. I got nothing else. Yeah, it's, it's silly. I, th- I think we were digging for an article there, and you found it. Aren't you proud? That's all. I'm I'm very proud. I mean, other things we could support. BYU has a cross country team. They have. I think I'm it's just the any- nature of football being a pretty big and flashy American sport that also causes a lot of concussions and brain damage. So let's move on. It's a lot of that, and I also think it's it's also not uncommon, of course, in media markets that are not large enough to hold, have something like a major league baseball team or a or an NFL team, sure, like Utah, like Utah. And this is not a dig by any means, but then college sports become a big deal. So that's why BYU and the U of U, especially, and that's that's totally fine. I mean, you've got you know very famous football teams in some football, you know, like uh, like what Ohio State, you know, OSU's got a big football squad. You've got a lot of these areas that are not served by an NFL team. And so college football is huge. And that's fine. People are into football. But like you said, it kills people with brain damage and it's silly. It's just silly. Also, in the world of COVID, when we're trying to avoid contact sports, I know sports are trying to think about how to come back. How do we have sports, <laughs> right? And and some could, you know, handle this. Like you could play baseball with minimal contact between individuals. You could pull that off. You could play some other sports in the same way. Football is like the worst candidate of all the sports in terms of not touching each other. It's the absolute worst. You would have one person infected and then all of a sudden the entire line has it because they're rubbing all over each other oh, and gross. tackling and dancing and prancing, prancing? and cornholing. What is cornholing? I don't even want to know. Okay. So moral of the story is fencing. Pretty good option. <laughs> BYU have a good fencing team? Got a mask. Can't get BYU does very close to each other. Uh, BYU's fencing is just a club. Badminton? Also not a bad option. That's all. Tennis? Uh, There's lots of things that we could do. Outdoor sports that just you don't have to tackle each other. Tracks? That's that's, That's why I did cross country in high school. Mostly because I didn't want to have to deal with teamwork. It's great. You just run. <laughs> what a great excuse. Just run. You don't have to learn any plays or any moves. You just like no be the best strategy. Runner. Just I'm just, just gonna go for it. Oh, you, you How'd that work out for you, Jeff? I was pretty okay. Okay. All right. Whatever that means. Didn't get a medal. I was I was all house is what we would just say my conference was. Oh, what does that mean? You know, people say like all state, oh. all in national, all city. I was all uh, house. And I, was, I was the I was the best runner in my home. Oh, that's where I got to. That's nice. Okay. See, if I have to if I have to explain a joke, it's not worth telling. So just ignore what I did over then. Yep. Okay. So we have some Utah news. Uh, this take is us a, home. This is an old case, um, including the University of Utah and Lauren McCluskey, who was. Um, she was a track athlete at the university and she was shot and murdered by her ex-boyfriend, um, Melvin Roland. And this happened in 2018. She, um, he was extorting her for money under the threat of sharing explicit images of her. Um, so there are some, uh, indications that there was like domestic violence or, you know, a controlling behavior and abuse in the relationship as well. And a lot of research is showing that image-based sexual abuse, which is what this sort of threatening to disseminate photos is that's included. Um, we call this sextortion, clever little name there. Um, that, that is an extension of, or is becoming an extension of domestic violence. So, um, the trib, the reason why this is kind of coming up again is because the family feels uh, that the University of Utah didn't handle the case very well. And it's because she went to the University of Utah police. And so the there trib reported that the U of U police officer that she reported the sextortion to, his name was Miguel Deras, um, that he um, sent copies of McCluskey's images to his private phone so that he could view them at his own convenience. And he mm-hmm. reportedly showed the images to another police officer 
um, another colleague and bragged about having them um, so that he could take a peek anytime he wanted, which again is another counted instance of image-based sexual abuse. So the U of U is claiming that there's no evidence that the officer did this. He's also, he like resigned um, a while ago and is now working for the Logan Police Force. Um, which after the trib posted they this, hired him. Yeah, after the trib. Well, so it wasn't even really recorded that he had done this. That's why I think the U is saying that there's no evidence of such. And now, the Logan police have opened up an investigation into him. Um, all of this is really bad, really sad, and doesn't seem to be bringing a whole lot of justice to her family at the moment. Um, so the boyfriend, if anyone is curious, he was, um, chased by police and he, um, shot himself after he had, this was, I, I think, uh, I'm not sure if it was the same day or if it was later after he had, um, shot McCluskey in the back of his car. Um, sorry, these are kind of explicit details, but it's like a pretty horrific story. Um, and I think that it's one that people should be aware of and know of because uh, I was a little disappointed in the reporting that nobody had mentioned image-based sexual abuse. And I'm bringing it up because this is something that I write about and report on predominantly and that it is a much bigger issue than we are aware of. This was, um, yes, domestic violence and dating violence, but that uh, the threat to share explicit images is... Um, proving to be just as dangerous and traumatizing as actually disseminating the images itself. So there are things that we can um, watch out for. And also in a relationship, don't secretly take pictures of somebody. Don't, if they send you pictures, don't share them. If they haven't told you that you could share them, there are, don't threaten that you might share them. There are things that we could do to prevent this. Um, so sorry to end on a bit of a bummer there, but I thought it was interesting that that's kind of been brought up and, uh, the trib is, uh, trying to chase that up. It's actually in a way kind of a good instance of some local reporting being able to bring this case back around into the attention, um, and dig up some, uh, possible evidence that previously wasn't examined appropriately. So that's where we're at with that one. And I hope it gets well, resolved. Me too. Mm. One last good note, though, everybody. This happened at the end of April. Missionaries were stuck in Argentina, or and they were able to get out. Oh, so, other way around. They were stuck in Mexico. They were sorry, Argentinian. They were stuck in Mexico. There you go. They were Argentinian. They couldn't get out. Like it says, and it says here, la iglesia ayuda a retornar al país acerca de, de 100 ciudadanos argentinos. Esfuerzo conjunto de la iglesia de Jesucristo de los Santos de los últimos días y la cantillería argentina. I hope yes. you know that I mostly bring in the Mormon newsroom, or sorry, the uh, church newsroom, um, Spanish articles, just so that you go into your little Barcelona Spanish. I appreciate I it very it. much. I, I, should, I should speak it like an Argentinian, though. That's more fun. Ante el avance de la pandemia, <laughs> las autoridades generales de la iglesia decidieron que todos los... That almost sounds Italian. Sus That's how they sound. That's hilarious. Oh, vos, ¿cómo te llamas? <laughs> Perfect. Well, good news is missionaries made it home. And it sounds like from the article that there were that the church um paid for the charter to send their missionaries home and that they've done this for a lot of other missionaries who were kind of stuck and stranded elsewhere and they're sort of saying like, "Hey government, look how nice we are. We'll pay to send them home for you." Boom. So, how good are Orchard we? People. Oh, we are the best in the world so good. thank you for joining us this week everyone we hope the news roundup has been good for you i actually thought going into this week it was gonna blow by as a shorter episode but here we are i guess when you rant about you know the nfl and football and history all kinds of things in history all kinds of things while josie sits patiently and pleasantly uh the show gets longer so Please leave us a review. Please uh, shoot us an email, contact us mormons.com and join us and subscribe if you haven't done so already. And as a reminder, you can join Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash This Week in Mormons, where you can pledge $1, 2 bucks a month, whatever you like, and help us pay our various hosting fees, server fees, mixing fees, all kinds of fees. There's a lot of fees. And we might as well at least just be neutral on the costs, right? You don't want me writing these expenses off in my taxes, do you? No, you don't. You don't. Make it neutral, people. Help out. Josie, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to see you. 
as always, and hopefully we'll see you next month, I assume, sometime in June in all likelihood. And uh, best of luck with all of your endeavors and the noses and the swabbing. My nasal swabbing. I'm excited for a full update on that the next time we, we remark. Oh, don't Can worry. Pictures? Can you get pictures? We can blow up people's faces. I am we not. We want to get you in action. I am not allowed to photograph <sighs> any of my um, <sighs> patients. Yeah. That was. Yeah, doctor, doctor patient confidentiality. Do no harm. Blah, 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 blah. We don't. Come on. That's disappointing. Yeah. Well, we'll Singapore would take it. it a little bit too seriously. I don't want to get kicked out of the country or worse. That's that's probably. <laughs> or caned so yes that's gonna be it everybody thank you for listening to a wonderful episode of this week in mormons and we hope you have a terrific remainder of your week and we'll talk to you again next week until then be well be holy and be happy 